And welcome to another edition of Book Talk. I'm Stephen Ussery, and I'm delighted to welcome Haley Arsenault to the program today. Haley is a physician's assistant with St. Jude Children's Research Hospital in Memphis. Not only an employee, but she is a successful patient who recovered from pediatric cancer at St. Jude's. A couple of years ago, she was offered a seat on a SpaceX flight to orbit the Earth for three days and raise money for St. Jude's. In 2022, her memoir, Wild Ride, a memoir of Ivy Drips and Rocket Ships, was published, and 2023 sees the young reader's adaptation, Wild Ride, My Journey from Cancer Kid to Astronaut, which is published by Convergent Books. Haley, it's approaching the second anniversary of your mission into space. Do you still have to pinch yourself when you think about it? I do. There are so many times where I just think, I cannot believe I became an astronaut. It's something that I never saw in my life path. And then this incredible opportunity presented itself. And whenever I was presented with the opportunity, I just knew there was nothing I wanted more. I wanted to go to space so bad when I realized it was possible for me. Do you dream about zero G? I do. And I actually had a dream about space last night. And it really, I woke up in the night just missing space. But um, but I love my dreams about space because that's the closest I feel to floating again. Because even if I try to imagine it, I just, it's not the same as in my dream. I can, it's like I can feel it all over again. It's in that period of just when we're drifting off and you feel your body get kind of light when you're heading off to sleep. It's such a wonderful feeling. And I can't imagine feeling that for almost three straight days. It was my favorite sensation in the world. I loved just how freeing it was, getting to do flips in the air and just play around and kind of be a kid again in zero gravity. So can you describe how you first heard about the possibility of joining the mission Inspiration4? I first found out about it when I was asked to be part of it. Wow. Um, I had gotten an email from the chief of staff of St. Jude. He said he wanted to speak to me about a unique opportunity. And I thought maybe it was some kind of fundraiser for the hospital. I was thinking maybe like being in a commercial or giving a speech. I truly could not have ever imagined this. But they start telling me on this call about this new fundraiser that was actually going to be a mission to space. And and I'm kind of wondering what I have to do with it. And I was very shocked when they asked if I wanted to be part of it and go to space. It seems like for you it was more difficult to get your job at St. Jude than it was to actually get to go on the space mission. You're right about that. Yes, I have always wanted to work at St. Jude since I was 10 years old and traded at St. Jude. It's truly been my dream. And it wasn't handed to me. I ended up applying four times over the years, really had to gain experience and prove myself. And so when you're going through the vetting process to go into space, what was that process like for you? I had three days of full day, very intensive medical evaluations. I think pretty much every system in my body was checked out. And that was probably when I was the most nervous throughout the entire process because I was so worried that this opportunity that was going to be incredible and life-changing, that somehow that would slip away, that they would find something and I wouldn't be able to go to space. And so when I got that all clear, I was so relieved and so excited to start training. Your brother has been fascinated with space almost his entire life, and it seemed like he was able to put the jealousy aside and be very supportive of your process. It's so true. It, it goes to show what an incredible person he is because space has been his life. He grew up watching the NASA channel. We went to NASA a couple of times because really he wanted to go and he became an aerospace engineer. And he was 
one of the first people I called when I got this incredible opportunity to go to space and I asked him what he thought of the safety and he was realistic. He said spaceflight carries risk, but he thought it would be safe enough. He really became my go-to throughout that year. Any questions I had that came up with training, I would call my brother and it brought us even closer together. But he got to have a lot of fun when I was training too. He got to do a zero gravity flight. He got to do a fighter jet flight. So he was in a way getting to see how we were training right alongside us. Now your mother, it seems over the years, has gotten used to the concept of you going off to some far-flung location. It's true. You've traveled all over the world, and to consider that, you know, traveling from Earth up to a low orbit in space, it's about the distance from Memphis to New Orleans. <laughs> That's wild to think about. How did your mother react when you said, I got a new location in mind where I want to go to? I knew she would be shocked but not surprised, if that makes sense, that I would want to do this. And I just remember calling her, FaceTiming her, so I could see her reaction. And I said, you are not going to believe this, but it's true. I just got asked to go to space. And I remember saying, I have to do this. And to my relief, she agreed. She said, yes, you do. This is a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. But through the years, I've just really loved finding a sense of adventure. And for me, that's traveling, traveling the world, getting to have new life experiences. So we always had this little understanding between us. I would never tell her about the crazy things that were happening until I was back home safe. And pretty similarly with space too. What was the purpose of the mission Inspiration for? We were the first all-civilian mission to orbit the Earth. And so a lot of our mission was just showing that this can be done. But the heart of the mission was it was also being used as a fundraiser for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. And we had a really lofty goal of $200 million that we were trying to raise for the hospital. And I'm happy to say we surpassed it. We raised about $250 million. And being a St. Jude patient as a kid and working there now, I know how far the money's going to go and how many children will, will be able to help through that. Now, I know many of us especially in Memphis, are familiar with St. Jude and the wonderful work they do with children who need treatment from all over the world. For people that don't know about it yet, explain what's available there at St. Jude for families. St. Jude is an incredible hospital and research institution treating cancer from kids from all 50 states and all over the world. And what's really incredible and what makes St. Jude so unique is patients never receive a bill. And so when I was diagnosed with bone cancer at age 10 and we were terrified, we turned to St. Jude. And not only was I treated with cutting edge treatment and technology, but also my family never received a bill for my treatment, for the year of housing, living in Memphis, for our transportation or food. And it's really incredible also working there as a healthcare provider and knowing that I can order whatever I need for these kids, whatever they need, and not have to think about what insurance will cover, that we can truly treat the kids with what they need. It's very freeing. And so can you talk about your experience when you were 10 years old coming to Memphis for the first time? I went from being a healthy, happy 10-year-old, I had just gotten my black belt in Taekwondo, to overnight becoming a cancer patient. I was having some pain in my knee. The doctor attributed it to the Taekwondo, but then the pain started getting worse and I started limping. And it was at that point that they noticed a lump above my knee. And an x-ray showed us that it was a type of bone cancer called osteosarcoma. 
And it was the most terrifying moment of my life. But a few days later, I was walking in the doors of St. Jude, and we felt so much hope. And that hope has really carried me through the rest of my life. I spent a year undergoing intensive chemotherapy and also had surgery to save my leg, where they removed the bone affected by the tumor and replaced it with an internal prosthesis. And this was cutting-edge technology. Only two places in the U.S. were doing it at the time because this internal prosthesis could expand as I grew without the need for additional surgeries, which really was able to preserve so much quality of life for me. But that year I was in treatment, I just was filled with this new purpose. And I knew I wanted to work at St. Jude and, and do the same thing that my care team did for me. And so it is, it's truly been my dream to work at St. Jude. I became a PA 18 years later from when I first walked in the doors as a patient. I was walking in the doors as an employee. Must have been such a gratifying feeling. It was the happiest day of my life when I found out that I, was, I got my job at St. Jude. Undergoing like a year's worth of chemotherapy, and it can be so rough on the system, and nausea is a big part of that. Do you think that helped prepare you for the nausea that people experience when they're training for going to outer space? So I, I had really bad nausea when I was going through treatment. Actually, my doctor said she'd never had a patient so nauseous. But I like to joke that I've gotten my lifetime of vomiting out of the way as a 10-year-old because with all my training for space, I luckily didn't get sick at all. And this was with the vomit comet that we rode, the zero-gravity flight. These were fighter jet flights. And then there is a, a degree of space adaptation syndrome where, um, where many astronauts get nauseated from just being in orbit. But luckily, I did not experience that. Actually, I, as the medical officer on the mission, administered shots to some of my crew members to help with their nausea. So they have to take like Finnegan or something when Finnegan, they're up there? intramuscular Finnegan. And uh, it was really challenging because as I was trying to draw up the Finnegan into the vial, or as I was trying to draw up the Finnegan, it was floating in the vial. And so I'm trying to chase it down with my needle, but every time I pull it up, my syringe is just full of bubbles. And I said, you won't die, but you're going to have some extra bubbles going into your muscle. And, uh, and as I tell the, the story, I saved the mission. Because I was thinking about that when I read that section of the book. I'm going, goodness, you just can't like, wait for the bubbles to go to the top yes, of the syringe yes. and just tap it out. And I tried centrifuging the vial. That's something I had learned in training, and, and I wasn't successful with getting all the bubbles out. But everyone was well, and everyone felt better after the shots. <laughs> so how long was the training for the mission? About six months of training. And was it possible for you to work at the same time while you're doing this? I tried to work while training, but then the training became so intensive that I had to step away from my St. Jude job. And that was, that was challenging for me because I love my job. It gives me so much purpose, but I also had to tell myself that I was still helping the kids, but in a different way and getting to help kids all over the world with cancer, not only through the funds we were raising for them, but just this message of hope that I was able to share with them. You mentioned it's the first all-civilian mission to space, but was it everyone's first rodeo, or had someone been up there before in your career? We were all first-timers to space. Oh, gracious. It was really special to share that, uh, the experience of, of reaching orbit with them, knowing it was all of our first time. So who is Jared Isaacman? First, what comes to mind is he's like a brother to me. He's the nicest, most down-to-earth person. He was in his late 30s when Inspiration4 started, but he is also a very successful businessman. He started a company called Shift4 and became a billionaire, and he financed the mission. 
but he was the one who really had the idea to use this mission for a greater purpose to help humanity and specifically helping children with cancer and using it to raise money for St. Jude. So his company being named Shift For It makes sense that Inspiration For yes, might be the name. Exactly. And there were four of us, so there was many meanings behind it. What kind of experiments did y'all do while you were up there? Mostly biomedical. So we ultrasounded different parts of our bodies, our blood vessels, our eyeballs, our bladders, just evaluating the size and shape and microgravity. We swabbed different parts of our bodies to test the microbiome and how the microbes in our skin would change and sharing that small capsule with three other people in those days in space. We took cognition tests. As astronauts have previously reported a space fog or a cognitive slowness in space, and so we evaluated our cognition. We gave many samples, blood, saliva, that were compared with pre-flight and post-flight data. And also we gave some skin samples. I got stitches from, um, from some of the skin biopsies that we donated to science before and after the mission. So what were some of the things that you learned from these experiments? One thing that's probably interested me the most is when they looked down at the smallest bits of our cells, they saw that our telomeres had increased in length. Mm -hmm. And that's actually associated with youth. It's kind of like the uh, ends of your shoelaces that kind of keeps, what is it, your genetic material together. And when we get older, they start to unravel a bit. Yes, and somewhat unfortunately, but when I got back to Earth, they had gone down to regular size. Oh, so it's a temporary game. <laughs> yes. But it's nice to know you might last a little bit longer it, in space for a longer flight. yes. I've always heard astronauts say, the most frequently heard question is, how do you go to bathroom in space? I knew you were going to say that. But, but, <laughs> but I don't want you to tell me how, but I just want to tell me how many people have asked you that. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever you said most frequently asked question, I said, it's going to be about the bathroom. You know, and I will say more adults than children. Really? Yes. But that is probably the most frequently asked question because I think ultimately people want to know about the human experience. How do humans go to space and live in space? And so I'm always happy to talk about the human experience because it's something that I didn't know much about and that I learned so much through training and through living it. Well, and another very human thing you all had to deal with, crumbs. Yes. (laughs) Again, something I never would have thought about until I went to space. And that was something that through training we learned about management. And a lot of the management was not bringing food that created crumbs. And so we couldn't bring bread to space, but they gave us a tortilla instead because they said it would create less crumbs. Somehow a Pop-Tart got through. Yeah, when I I read that, I said, man, that's a very crummy thing. (laughs) Yes, yes. And I had a mouthful of Pop-Tart. One of my crew members made me laugh. I go, pa! And then this cloud of Pop-Tart just floats all around the capsule. But um, we always had fun just trying to, like, pick up the crumbs that were floating around and having these different kind of experiences and problems than we have on Earth. I know that we can theoretically swallow when we're upside down. Was it called peristalsis? Yes. So that works pretty well in space, too, for swallowing food and water and everything? Yes. I will say I was less hungry and less thirsty in space. Food moves through the gut more slowly without gravity. And so on the last day in space, I barely ate it all. I think I might have just had a couple M&Ms because I just didn't feel hungry. You've got long hair. Yeah. And that wasn't exactly an advantage in space either. Maybe it was an advantage, but it was beautiful. (laughs) And I let my long hair fly. It was always floating around me. It was 
also often hitting my crew members as I would float around. And then I didn't realize how much my head shed until I would just see little strands of my hair floating in the air. And I was the only one in the crew with long hair. So it was very obvious that it was mine. And I would see it sticking to my crew members' clothing. But I really loved keeping my hair long in space because I just thought about whenever I didn't have hair. And so seeing it, it was like a symbol of how far I've come. In addition to yourself and Jared Isaacman, who brought the mission together, who were your other two crew members? Cyan Proctor is a geoscientist and community college professor. She won her seat through a Twitter contest. And my other crew member, Chris Zembrowski, he is a data engineer. He won his seat through, we were doing kind of a lottery where people would make a donation to St. Jude and they could be entered to win a seat to space. And that's how he won his seat. And Dr. Proctor, she actually has a family history with NASA and spaceflight. Yes, her dad worked on the Apollo program. And so she was born on Guam because that's where they were stationed as he was working through the Apollo program. And she actually has an autograph by Neil Armstrong that he autographed for her father. And it was passed down to her and she brought it to space. And what did you take to space with you? Packing for space was very difficult, and I kind of naively Googled like what to bring to space, and there were no resources. <laughs> so one thing that was really special to me was I brought photos. I brought a big photo from when I was in treatment, and in that photo I'm bald, and I took a picture holding that photo when I was in our cupola window. So I had the earth behind me. I'm in space holding this photo from when I was in treatment, and that picture is now hanging on the walls of St. Jude so that hopefully our kids who are fighting can look at it and feel inspired. I brought photos of my family and friends. I brought some letters that my family had written to me. I brought photos of some of my friends who died of cancer. And I've lost friends to cancer ever since I was 10 years old. And I just, I wanted to bring them with me in that moment as a reminder of why we were doing this mission how this purpose was so important. And so I contacted all their families and I had them choose their favorite pictures, which I brought to space. And then later I sent those space loan photos back to their families. And you had lost your father as well to cancer. I lost my father to cancer three years before the mission. And I actually brought an inside joke that we had. He used to wear this St. Jude tie that to be honest, was just an ugly tie. It's got cartoon faces of children all over it. And he would always try to wear it. And I would tell him in a joking way, but also I was serious. I said, don't wear that tie. It's not fashionable. But he would insist on wearing it because he said people would always ask him about the tie. And then he could tell them about my story and about St. Jude. And I'm trying to think of what to bring to space to honor my dad. For months, I'm just brainstorming. I can't come up with anything perfect. And then one day I saw a picture of him wearing that tie, and I just got chills. I said, that's what I need to bring to space to represent him. And so I was in space. I let it go, and the tie just floated around. And that was such a special moment, just getting to bring my dad into that moment with me. Now, also, when you were younger, after your treatment at St. Jude, you wrote about how you just want to be a regular kid. You didn't want to be known as cancer girl. Yes. So what's it like to be known as astronaut person now? You know, I am so proud of being cancer girl now because it's brought me so far. And 
I definitely had those moments. Middle school, high school, I was so ashamed of my scars. Now I'm so proud of them because it just shows how far I've come, how hard I worked, how much hope has carried me through. You know, I, I truly, truly never could have imagined I would become astronaut girl. And it's something I'm, I'm very proud of as well because I worked very hard. I always kept in mind that the purpose was so much bigger than just me. And that's what gave me the inspiration I needed to climb a mountain in training and to work so hard and sacrifice so much to go to space. Especially when I found out the night we got back to Earth that we had surpassed our $200 million fundraising goal. That was when we all said, mission accomplished. Climbing a mountain in order to train for space, it seems a little odd because what, Mount Rainier is maybe three or four miles tall tops? It was our crew member bonding, our getting comfortable being uncomfortable experience. And this was one of our first training activities that we did as a crew. And it was a three-day trip. The first day we climbed for nine and a half hours up the mountain through the snow. It actually made me very anxious doing that mountain climb because I was so worried that something would happen to my leg and I wouldn't be able to go to space. But it also, whenever I, I made it through the climb, it showed me that I could do so much more than I realized, that I realized I had been putting limits on myself. So that in itself, especially being part of the first training activities, it really gave me the confidence to not limit myself. Now, of course, thinking about you going into space and thinking about, you know, if I were able ever to go into space, it's one thing. But then you said ice cave, and I went, ooh, I really need to hear about this. (laughs) So while we were on the mountain, we had some free time, and they had a crevasse that had opened. And so we all hiked over to it, and we took turns being lowered into the ice cave. I just had this kind of new mindset. I said, you know, I'm going to space. I can do anything. Things that might have scared me in the past were just really seen in a new light. And so I climbed into the ice cave, but I didn't have the upper body strength to pull myself out. So luckily, I had some very strong guides with me (laughs) who were able to pull me out. So you mentioned your prosthesis earlier. Could you talk a little bit about that and the special nature of it, how it allowed you to grow with it when you were young. So my internal prosthesis goes from my mid-femur to my mid-tibia, so like mid-thigh to mid-calf. And the way that it was able to grow was inside of it had a compressed spring, and this spring was surrounded by plastic. And whenever I needed to grow, I would have this procedure where I was awake during this too. So I know 10 out of 10 pain. But they would put this ring around my leg that would shoot and raise, that would melt that plastic. And then the spring would just uncoil slowly. And they did this five times. And so it saved me several surgeries. But you did have to have several surgeries in addition when it failed. Yes. Unfortunately, the prosthesis broke. And so when I was 12 and 15, I had to have revisions of that. And they had to put in new prostheses. And those surgeries were recovering from those were some of the hardest moments of my life. It was very physically painful. Each surgery, I lost a little bit of function. And so it was very hard on me. But I just remember when after years of physical therapy, I I finally graduated and my orthopedic surgeon said, go live your life. And that's when you'll get the most function back. And it's something that it was very true. Now I do yoga classes, I climb mountains, can do whatever I want, things I truly never could have imagined possible for me. The physical therapy you had after your surgeries was intense, and they pushed you to your your full capabilities. So in the training process for Inspiration 4, you had a simulation and 
for you to say, hey, we need to stop, that must have been very intense pain. It was a launch simulation, and this was one of our first big simulations where mission control was present. The crew who would be loading us into the spacecraft on day of launch was present. There were so many people there, and we were training in real time. SpaceX astronauts get strapped into the spacecraft about two and a half hours before liftoff. And so we were doing that training in real time. And how the space seat is designed, my leg was forced into this bent position, and I couldn't move it. And so it started feeling stiff and hurting and just getting worse and worse. I was sweating. I could feel my face grimacing. And I, it takes a lot for me to speak up especially about something that I have endured for a long time. But I finally told my crew members, I said, don't say anything to SpaceX, but I'm really in a lot of pain. My leg's really hurting. But then it just got so unbearable that finally the simulation had to be stopped. These trainers rush in, the medical crew rushes in, and I unstrap my leg and I just burst into tears because I was so embarrassed. And I said, my leg did great climbing Mount Rainier and it's taken out by sitting in a chair. And I was so frustrated, but also kind of having these bad feelings resurface of being that cancer girl that couldn't keep up when I was in elementary school, middle school, after having finished treatment. But after that experience, I really realized how much strength it took me to speak up. And I was better for it because SpaceX redesigned my footrest in a way that my leg wasn't forced to bend at the same angle. So on launch day, I had no pain. It showed me the importance of speaking your truth. And so do you think over the years you've not spoken out before because you've had this, you know, endure it, get through things? Yes, yes. And so much of my past of what I've gone through, I've had to go through pain and tough times and I had to make it through. And so I think it, as an adult, sometimes it's hard for me to speak up. And that moment really showed me that it's okay to speak up and people really want to help. And so the next day they were holding meetings, redesigning my footrest. We're talking about the Young Readers edition of Wild Ride. What was it like adapting your full-length memoir to a different audience? It was just fun. I love this book. And we shortened it. It just truly has all the highlights of Wild Ride. But also, it was interesting to take some time to explain things that I didn't necessarily explain in the adult version. Like, what is cancer? What is chemotherapy? And there were so many special moments that, where I just paused and got to explain and hopefully educate some kids along the way. But I wanted to take the same tone of my memoir, Wild Ride, which is even though I talk about some heavy themes, it's not a scary book. It's not a sad book. It's lighthearted and it's fun and it's funny. And I worked so hard on this edition. And so getting to see it now in the hands of kids is truly so special for me. So what was it like working with Sandra Bark and telling your story? I worked with a collaborator named Sandra, and she really understood my story. And I told her, I said, you know, I've never done anything like writing a book before, but I want to take a stab at it. I want to write. I want this to be my words. So we went through my life story on Zoom, and she divided it into chapters. And for each chapter, she would send me a bunch of questions to really help me get in the moment. For example, my diagnosis. She would say, what did the room look like? Do you remember what you were wearing, what your doctor was wearing? Just things to help me think more creatively. And I would write and I would send her back all these responses and she put it together and helped it. And we worked so beautifully together on the adult book and then also on this young reader's version. And I can't think of anyone who could have 
helped me tell this story more perfectly. With all your travels around the world, I mean, you've been to New Zealand and what, Morocco and Peru. Do you think you could write another book just about your travels here underneath the atmosphere? If I wrote another book, it would probably be about travel. And now I'm very fortunate to say I've been to all seven continents. I love getting to experience new cultures and try new foods and be out of my comfort zone. And that is truly one of my biggest passions in life. So I think if I wrote another book, it would be about my earthly adventures. I've seen pictures of the high desert area in Peru, and that seems almost like the most similar thing we have to the moon on Earth. I love traveling to the otherworldly type places like Iceland and places that you just feel like you're on a different planet. I just think those moments, I'm always left in awe. Well, Haley, I want to thank you so much for stopping by and sharing Wild Ride, the Young Readers Edition with us. It's been a pleasure to speak with you. It's been a pleasure to speak with you, too. Thank you so much for having me. Haley Arsenault is the author of Wild Ride, My Journey from Cancer Kid to Astronaut, which is published by Convergent Books. I'm Stephen Usry, and this is Book Talk. Thank you for joining us today. Book Talk is produced in the studios of FM 89.3 WYPL Memphis, a service of the Memphis Public Library, a division of the City of Memphis. Book Talk is copyrighted by the Memphis Public Library, all rights reserved.